Podcast One and Forbes present Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari, a show where women you may never meet will become your mentors. Join Denise in her New York City apartment and tap into her conversations with successful women who are dropping the V-bombs. That's right, they're getting vulnerable. Now, here's your host, Denise Rastari. Hi, and welcome back to my apartment here in New York City. You may hear some noise in the background because we have construction going on across the street. There's always something going on here, but it's a real moment. You're in my apartment with us, and with us today, my guest is Jen Glantz. Jen is a professional bridesmaid. Seriously, a professional bridesmaid. She's the founder of the head-turning, media-covered Bridesmaid for Hire. She does everything for the bride, including taking her to the bathroom, lifting up her dress. She'll even walk down the aisle with the bride. Again, seriously. Jen's told her story to The Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, and Fox News, where they called her job the weirdest of all time. She writes about her adventures in her tell-all memoir called Always a Bridesmaid, in parens, for hire available for pre-order now, and it all started as a side hustle. She's the heart behind the blog, The Things I Learned From, and the 2013 book, All My Friends Are Engaged. She has an endless passion for strangers, which I can't wait to hear about, and helping others. She's a mentor for women entrepreneurs in New York City, and she teaches a ton of classes around the city to help people who have the goal of starting a side hustle get over their fears and to really take advantage of the opportunities in front of them. And if you didn't think her job was weird enough, she loves public speaking. So it's like we just have this professional bridesmaid loves public speaking, and she lives on the 26th floor in New York City, in an apartment that she says is the size of a walk-in closet where she eats way too much pizza and she owes the library across the street way too much money. So, Jen, welcome, welcome. And I cannot wait to get into your stories. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Thank and, you. And a shout-out to Christina Valletta for connecting yeah. us. So thank you, Christina. She's wonderful. So I'm going to kick it off with one of my stories. And I've been wanting to tell this story. Today's just the perfect time to tell it. Yeah. When I was getting married 10, well, 11 years ago now, and I was 50 years old, I, I didn't have a bridal party. I didn't mm. want a bridal party. But my daughter was my bridal party. So yeah. that was it. But I want, you, know, you want friends around to help you, right? So I'm living in D.C. A really close friend of mine, like my best friend, lives in New York. And I've always saw signs of she's selfish, but she has so many other great qualities that you kind of overlook sure. those in the friendship. And it's like, oh, whatever. So she's going to travel from New York to D.C. But before that, I'm buying my dress here in New York. And so she's going to meet me to go try on my dress. And I, I wasn't buying a formal wedding dress, but I was buying a long evening dress. And she's 45 minutes late. And I have the seamstress waiting for me at oh the store. Goodness. Because this is like, I picked out the dress already and she's going to fit it if I want it. And my friend is 45 minutes late and she gets there and she's texting. It's like she has this business. This was this really kind of insane business, which I won't even get into that. Yeah. But she's texting and it's like, oh my God, I might have to go to China, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, can we just focus on my dress for five right. minutes? Okay. Nothing. And then we get done. And she's like, I got to leave. Sorry. So she was absolutely no help, right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, she was a hindrance. It was 45 minutes right. of my time and the seamstress's time. So now we get close to the wedding and she's traveling from New York to DC. And she texts me and says, you know, I might not be able to come <gasps> to the wedding. Oh my goodness. And I'm like thinking something horrible happened, yeah. right? Because, you know, I'm really struggling financially. But meanwhile, she just told me she got a pedicure and manicure uh, from one of the most expensive places right. here in New York City. Oh, my God. And I'm really struggling with money. And, and I'm like, you know what? Do whatever you want. Yeah. Just do whatever, whatever. Stressing I just, you out. yeah, I don't have time for this. So she comes and it's great. I'm happy that she's there, right? The day of the wedding, all I'm doing are getting text messages. Now I have my daughter sure. who's in eighth grade. This is my second marriage. Mm -hmm. So I'm wanting my daughter to feel very involved. And so we're in this suite at the hotel together. And she just wants to get downstairs with her friends. She yeah. could care. My daughter's kind of like, this is great, mom. But you know, my friends are downstairs. Right. That's who I want to hang with right now. And I have all this stuff going on in my life. And my friend, in quotes, is texting me. So do you think I should wear a bra with my... I'm wearing my brown dress. I'm like... 
how did this happen? So here's my question. Oh. Where were you 11 years ago when I yeah. needed you? Okay. Where were you? Yeah, well, 11 years ago, I don't even think my, a lot of my friends you were 12. Were, I know yeah, they, 12. a lot of my friends were meeting the people they were going to marry. And this is how this whole thing happened was that I was 22, 23 graduating college and all of my friends were getting engaged. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my, myself, my career, not even thinking about love. And with those engagements kept coming the question, will you be my bridesmaid? And I had no choice but to say yes. And so I want to get into your bit, but the one thing I want to touch on first is the, one of my learnings in all of this yeah. is something I talk about a lot is we see these signs in people at varying degrees sure. and not, not, you know, we're all dysfunctional in some yeah. way, shape or form. Right. Oh yeah. So it's like, but when you see those signs, it doesn't mean you have to not be friends with that mm-hmm. person. Right. But it means that it says what you expect from that person and be realistic that this person is not going to be, whether it's your bridesmaid, whether it's your maid of honor, whatever it is, your business partner, that person may not be the best person for you. So that was my learning in all of that. Oh yeah. And I think that weddings are such an unnatural situation where you have everybody you've ever known in one room for one night. And the same thing with your bridesmaids. You think you have to pull a friend from every different aspect of your life to be there for you. But really what I always say is you want to keep it as simple as possible. So I always tell people use an elevator trick. If you are stuck in an elevator, who are the two, three, four people you would want to be in that elevator with when you're really hungry, really scared, and really fed up? Those are the people who should be your bridesmaids. Everybody else have them as a wedding guest. And do they listen to you when you tell them that? Oh, of course not. They invite, you know, the bridesmaid that they feel like they have to have because they had her or they invite the friend they haven't spoken to in two years in hopes that it'll amend their friendship. But what really happens is it becomes such a dramatic experience where you end your wedding with a couple less friends because they resent you or you resent them. And we're going to get back to all of this. So, but first let's talk about how you actually decide. So we heard the beginning part of how you decided to start, but what made you say, I'm going to take this idea and make it a business. And then I want to get into your mentoring moment, but I want to take, I want to go into this first. So I was a bridesmaid for my friends so many times in my early twenties and I wasn't necessarily the best bridesmaid. You know, I made all of my mistakes the first couple of times, but I had a lot of friends getting married. So I was a bridesmaid about a half a dozen times. And there was one night in particular where two of my friends asked me to be a bridesmaid. And to be honest, they weren't close friends. They were kind of those friends that you were close with at one point in your life, but you haven't spoken to them in years. So it was a little odd that two of those people asked me in one night and I went home and I told my roommate casually, I said, Carrie, you know, two distant friends asked me to be your bridesmaid. And she says to me, wow, Jen, you've become a professional bridesmaid. And these lights went off in my head and I didn't say a word back to her. I went into my room and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm good at this. I like this. People trust me to do this for them. Perhaps I could do this for strangers. But I had no business experience. I was a poetry major in college, a writer primarily. So I had no idea how to start a business or test out an idea. I ended up going to the one place my mom told me never, ever go to, which was craigslist.com. That's where uh, that Friday night I posted an ad, funny ad, offering my services to strangers as a bridesmaid. I told them I would help them pee in their wedding dress. Super hard <laughs> Wait, to That's do. what you actually put in the ad? Yeah. And I said that I would dance with your drunk <laughs> uncle. And I said that I would you know, do all of these things that, sure, your good friends could do, but do they want to? Do they have time to? Let me do it for you. And I shut my computer. I didn't tell a single person because... Because if I did, I know my friends would have said, Jen, you lost your mind. You need to get some help. What are you trying to do? But I have faith in this idea. So posted the ad, went to sleep. Uh, the weekend goes by, nothing happens. Monday morning, I'm at work and uh, a friend G chats me an article from BuzzFeed. And the article says, uh, anonymous woman posts an ad to be a professional bridesmaid on Craigslist. And my friend goes, wow, Jen, this is you. And I click the ad, I read it, and I write back and I say in caps, oh my God, this is me. Right. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, you should have thought of this first. And I was like, no, 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 this is my ad. And then I checked my email and I got hundreds of emails from brides all over the world who wanted this service. And that's how I said to myself, there is a need. Let me experiment and try this as a business. 
And then what happened? How did you even decide what to charge? Oh, that is like the best question in the world. You know, at first what I did is I read through those 300, 400 emails and I said to myself, what are similarities between these emails? And that's how I developed my three or four starting packages. Pricing was very difficult because there was nothing to compare it to. There was no other business I could say, oh, how much are they charging for this? So what I tried to do was figure it out on an hourly basis. You know, how many hours would it take me to do this package or this package or this package? And pricing changed throughout the first couple months. It definitely changed after I worked my first wedding and said, wow, you need to get paid a lot more for this job, Jen. Uh, but I just put something out there to the world. I put out some packages, put out some pricing, and I tested it out. And since that time, and this, if this is a mentoring moment, we'll circle back. What is like one of the craziest things you've ever, you've ever done as a bridesmaid for hire? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So uh, I'd say one of my craziest stories is I worked a wedding in Nevada. Uh, it was an outdoor wedding in a beautiful field, but the field had wild animals roaming around. And right before it was my turn to walk down the aisle, I noticed that there was animal droppings down the aisle. And my first thought was, oh my goodness, this bride in her beautiful silk dress from anthropology is going to have to walk down the aisle and get the bottom completely ruined. And all the guests are seated. And I took it upon myself to pick up the animal droppings with my bare hands and move it aside so that the bride could walk down the aisle and look flawless. Uh, it was recognized by her guests and the bride was very happy with me, but it is something that I will never forget. And that's when I really said to myself, wow, you know, you are this, this warrior for these women. And you are the person who will do things nobody else might. Uh, and you will really do everything for them, even when it's gross. And what gives you, I'm, I'm not so sure. Yeah. I, I'm not even so sure. I know I wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> be like, yeah. Okay. There's got to be a better job for me. What is it that gives you that I'm going to go do that? You know, I, I think it's because I'm really there for these women. I mean, a big misconception people say is, oh, they hire you to be a friend for one day. But the truth is we do build this relationship for a really long time beforehand. And I feel like I owe it to them to be there and to take care of anything that is a challenge or a hindrance for them to enjoy what's supposed to be the best day of your life. But uh, oftentimes a lot of things happen to make it just an okay day or a day when you're very stressed out. And what about one of the happiest moments, like something that's happened where you're just like, I love my, I just love this. You know, it's so weird. I've, I've been to more weddings than most people. How many do you think you've been to? Oh man, I'd say over 40. I've been to a lot and, uh, there's, you know, a good amount where I still find myself crying like a baby. And, um, you know, oftentimes that's when they read their vows or when they kiss for the first time. And, um, you know, sometimes I have couples who look at each other and you just know this is right. You know, you really feel their chemistry. And, you know, as someone who's been single for a very long time, I would look at those moments and say to myself, wow, I, I long for the day when someone looks at me like that because I never had that before. Uh, so people would always say, you know, being single in the wedding industry, that's got to be a bummer. But really, it's uplifting to see couples who genuinely love each other because you don't see that at every wedding. And if so, you, when you're, you will get married some, do you want to get married? I hope so. Right? Yeah. And what will your wedding be? Small, big? I have put a lot of thought into this and, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy for me to say, and I'll openly admit it. I hate weddings. I think that they are awful. I think people spend way too much money on them. They I'm have such you. big expectations and they don't enjoy themselves. And they think they have to follow this, you know, paint by numbers kind of wedding experience to make it traditional, but they don't end up enjoying it. So I am the kind of person who wants very simple. I have a goal of planning my wedding in under a thousand dollars. Uh, I want to have, you know, Domino's pizza, like very cheap pizza and I want to have like a, a band play and I want it to be just very relaxed and come and go and wear what you want and let's just have fun and celebrate, uh, you know, a fresh love, a fresh marriage. And, you know, if me and my husband make it very long, then we'll throw the big expensive party, you know, but I think to start out, I, I want something very simple. I think it's interesting. You say, if me and my husband make yeah, it right, like, that's know. a realist, right. That's, that's taking a realistic look, but I think that's hard to think that way sometimes when you're younger, it right? Is. Because oh, yeah. it's, but I, is it because you've seen it happen? You've been I've in the business? I, I wish I could tell you. I mean, I, I had a wedding in August where five minutes before the bride walks down the aisle, she pulls me inside and she goes, I hate him. I don't love him. I don't want to do this. And uh, I see that a lot. I see the cold feet happen a lot. I see people who get married and then two months, three months later, get the annulment. Uh, and it's not to say that, you know, love it breaks apart so quickly. It's just to say that, 
life is life and, and love interferes and marriage doesn't change things for the better all the time. And, you know, it, it's a real adventure and you don't know how it's going to end. And uh, I believe in love. I believe, you know, in falling madly in love, but you don't never know the outcome. You hope for the best. I agree. And I, you know, I think so many people have had that feeling when you're walking down the aisle and you just know this is not yes. right. This mm-hmm. is just not right. Yeah. That you're more in love with the thought of love sure. than you are with that person. Yeah. So we're going to come back to all this, but I want to hear your mentoring moment, yeah. something that's happened in your life that's made you who you are at the ripe age of 28. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I would say uh, the most influential person I, I met in the last couple of years was about nine months into starting my business. I, I fell apart. I, I didn't want to do any more. I was very stressed out. I, I felt this just big giant roadblock in my mind and my life. And I remember I was sitting on my full size bed in my apartment, crying hysterically into my mattress pad, just crying. I was so stressed and I didn't know who to talk to, what to do. So I opened my computer again and I went on Google and I Googled free business tutors in New York City. Uh, and that led me to um, the kind city of New York, led me to a man who was 86 years old. And he became my uh, business mentor, thanks to you know being assigned to him. And I walked into his office and I said, "Hi, I'm Jen. I'm the founder of Bridesmaid for Hire." And he said, "Get get out of my office right now." He's like, "None of this Miss America stuff. Come back in here when you can give me a list of your failures." And I thought to myself, "Whoa, you know, you're supposed to be mentoring me. Like I'm supposed to tell you all my you know success and achievements, and you're supposed to tell me how great I am. And here you are, kind of ripping me down to my my core, asking me to start off by telling you what I failed at. And you know why that was so interesting is because nobody has ever asked me, you know, what are what are my failures? Everyone always asks me, oh, how how great must it be to go to these weddings and be on the Today Show? But no one says, you know, Jen, what's what's been the hardest part or what have you failed at this week? And because of that, I don't keep track of those. I push them away. You know, I don't post them on Instagram. So here I was in front of this 86 year old man having to present him with these giant failures every week. And he made it very clear to me that these didn't have to be failures in just business. They can be in your personal life. They can be anything, but he wanted me to look at, you know, my day, my week, my life as a platform to go out and fail and get rejected and then see what happens when those rejections, you know, come my way. Uh, and I have actually been seeing him for two years. We're not only mentors, but he's my best friend. Uh, and he's, he taught me something that I'll never forget. He said, regret makes you human. You know, not doing things is, is human. We all don't do that, but failure actually makes you a hero. And those were words that really stuck with me. And, uh, you know, every morning when I wake up, I write down a list of things I'm scared to do. I'm scared to email this person. I'm scared to ask for this. I'm scared to go off and call this person. And then I remember that phrase that going out there and doing it and maybe not getting the response I want makes me a hero. And kind of that contradiction between, you know, fear and feeling like on top of the world makes me go ahead and try it to see what happens. Uh, And that was just a piece of advice that nobody has ever slapped in my face like that. And do you think that works better than waking up in the morning and saying, here are the five things that I'm going to accomplish today? Yeah, because we choose easy things. You know, if I say to myself, here's what I want to do today, what does that list look like? Well, it's going to be the easiest things in the world. And there might be one thing that I kind of don't want to do. But if I wake up in the morning and I say, here are five things I probably won't do today because I'm scared to do them. And this is the list I'm going to focus on. I really think your whole life will change because you're doing things that might have taken you months or years to actually execute. Uh, and it's a very powerful way of thinking. So it pushes yourself yourself out of your comfort zone, right? And, and, forces right. you to. And especially when you have someone to hold you accountable. Like I know Ray will only talk to me for my mentor session if I provide him with that list. So I have to really put myself out there and, and try to aim for rejection, things that I know I'm not maybe good enough to do yet and see what happens because I learn from it. And then I'm allowed to go bring that to Ray to kind of decompress and see what my next steps are. And I have to tell you, you know, some of my, my big success moments from that first time I met Ray in that, in that mentoring moment have been the biz- biggest successes of my life just because they've been things that I've been putting off because I was scared. 
And but first of all, I want to say I want to meet Ray. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm hopeful that by when I'm 86, there will be something I can still be doing. Oh yeah. And I'd love for him to meet my mother, who will turn 90 in March, yeah. and she's looking for a husband. There you so go. Those are three things yeah. there. <laughs> you tweeted the other day when you were just talking about failure. Something about what makes you teary-eyed is failure and rejection. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what, what you were thinking that day when you tweeted that? Yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, it sometimes, you know, I, it's hard to put yourself out there and want something so bad and be rejected. Uh, you know, it, it's scary. It's, it's really scary when you are vulnerable and, and someone says, no, you can't have this or no, you can't have that. But then again, I think it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. Um, writing a book, I, you know, got one book published, was totally rejected for book two, book three, before I got my deal, I was rejected 37 times before I got a yes. Uh, and from a big publisher, from a big publisher. Simon Schuster is your publisher, right? Yeah. But before that, you know, I would get emails every day with rejection letters that tell you why you're rejected. And it, it's painful. You, you fall apart for that moment. Uh, and you know, uh, my mom, especially when I call her and say, I just want to give up on trying to write this book, or I just want to give up on running a business. I just want to give up. And she'll say to me, it only takes one. Yes. And if no one's going to give you that, yes, you have to create your own opportunity. So I've always had this mindset of if everyone rejects me and I can't get what I want, I'm going to create it for myself. And that's also been just a, a crazy thought that I've had that has really propelled me into this world. And I'm the same way, but that can be exhausting at times, right? Because when I think sometimes when you're rejected and you can say, okay, that doesn't work. So I'll go. So I, that doesn't work. I'm not Mm going to try. But when you have that mindset of, well, if that person said, no, I'm going to go over here. That can really be exhausting. It is. It is extremely exhausting. And I think I'll look back at my twenties one day and be like, wow, I'm tired. I was tired and I worked harder than any person should, you know, really should and didn't have as much traditional fun. But in a way, I just really think if you believe in something and you really want to do something and nobody else will give it to you, then you have to figure out a way to do it because why not? You know, why should you let other people control the outcome of your adventure? And when I was trying to get the book published, I wrote out to my subscribers. I said, listen, I'm on rejection 36 today. If nobody agrees to publish this book, I will write it in crayon, photocopy it and pass it out in Times Square. And I really had this urge to just go ahead and do that if I got rejected because I knew I wanted to do this. And I think there's so many times in our lives where people tell us we're not good enough, we're not ready enough, we can't have this now, and we believe them. And I think that that could be one of the worst things we could do. I've talked about this. I I think when we get those voices in our heads, mm-hmm. that is the worst because it it doesn't allow you to be you. Yeah. And I remember the first day that I was recording my first podcast and I thought, you know, who, I, I don't know who's going to be listening, what age. So all these unknowns are out there because we haven't done it before. And I had never recorded a podcast before. Yeah. So I thought, I'm not going to listen to Annie because I remember, you know, something Michelle Obama has said mm-hmm. that when she went into the White House, that she didn't study the ex-first ladies. Yeah. That obviously, she knew who they were and what they did, but she didn't then say, okay, I'm going to go see what Betty Ford did or sure. what this person did. But she wanted to be her own yeah. first lady. And so I thought about the podcast, and it was like, well, I want... And then the night before, okay, I'm, that's when the anxiety, and it was like, do I really know what I'm doing? Yeah. So then I started to listen to everybody's podcast, and most of the people were like 30 years old sure. who were the hosts of those podcasts I was listening to, right? And the day of my first recording, I was kind of like everybody yeah. in my head. Mm-hmm. And I really had to, at one point just say, I need to stop this. I just, if, if it's not successful, it's not successful, but yeah. it's me that's not successful. It's not somebody that I'm trying to manufacture. Sure. And then it's not meant to be, and I'll figure out something else because I have a, my mission is, I think when you have a mission and you can say, my mission is to accomplish this. There are so many ways to accomplish it. So my mission is to democratize mentoring. Mm -hmm. So there are so many ways to get these messages out. And if this one doesn't work, there's another way to do it. This is not the only one. I'm not giving up on it if it doesn't work at first. But if it's not met, if it doesn't work, I will find another way to do it. And I think you got to get yourself out of that comfort zone, as you were saying, and put yourself into the deep end, just jump in the deep end. So your side hustle, speaking of the deep end, mm-hmm. has become your full-time job. Yeah. 
almost by accident. I, I mean, I was working full time at a tech startup that I adored, I loved, and I was doing bridesmaid for hire as just on the weekends and after work and before work. And uh, you know, one day uh, my company had massive layoffs, and I was on that list. And I remember I, I was really upset just because I, I was going to miss the job and, and the people I met there. And I walked out of that office, and before I could cry or process it, I looked back at the lobby of that office and I said to myself, "Never again will I work for somebody else." And I think that I felt that way because I, you know, I, I love to work and I, I'm a really good employee. And when you work for someone else, you know, you're waiting for that once a year raise to be told you're doing well, or, you know, you're waiting for, for big successes to get rewards. And I just was always the kind of person who wanted to do something for myself. And looking back at that moment and, and remembering looking at that lobby and saying, I can never work for someone else again. I went home and I wasn't upset about what just happened. And I said, how am I going to do this? How am I going to be able to make this my full-time job, make enough money to pay my bills and never have to, you know, work in an office for someone else again. And it wasn't easy. It was stressful. Month one, I wasn't making very much. And month two, I was making a little bit more, but, uh, you know, it's almost been a year and a half that I've been on my own and you make it work. And I, I think that I have about 10 or 11 income streams every single month. And maybe most entrepreneurs won't tell you that, but it could be true. You know, you don't always make enough money from your, your main gig, but that's why you can have other things on the side too. I think I need you to be my mentor. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> so I, okay. So if I had a side hustle, yeah. what are three? So you, you do training on side hustles sure. and conquering the fears. What are like three to five tips that you give people that you can share with our listeners? That yeah. You want to take this on? What do you do? The first thing I would say is start right now. I think a lot of times when we're starting a business or a side hustle, we say, oh, we're not ready yet. We just have the idea. That's all you need to have. Start right now. You're never going to be ready enough, good enough, have enough money or enough time. Start right now. The second thing you want to do is examine your competitors. So I always say, even if you don't have direct competitors, look at 10, 15 other people doing something similar and really analyze what they're doing well and what they can improve upon and really take those things to heart and incorporate that into your own business. My third main piece of advice is to learn how to speak about your business in 30 seconds or less. We are all very antsy people. Our attention spans are all over the place. I'm usually always thinking about what I'm going to eat next. So if you're talking to me, I try to listen, but then I'm thinking about where I can get pizza. So Please, if you start a business, the best thing you can do is have a crystal clear pitch about it. Tell me about it in 30 seconds. Have me ask my questions rather than you tell me a whole backstory that by minute three, I'm you know ordering dominoes on my phone. Okay, so in 30 seconds, what do you do? Bridesmaid for Hire provides professional bridesmaid services to brides in need where they're virtually behind the scenes and down the aisle for you. And we also help maid of honors out when they don't have time or they don't want to do their job. I think that's fabulous. I say all the time, we have got to tell our stories yeah. and you've got to be able to tell it quickly sure. and then you can go into a detail. Yeah. When I host dinners and say there's 30 people at the dinner and you want everybody, it's, and it's usually women's dinners on mentoring and you want everyone in the room to know everyone, yeah. right? To, because it's a small group and you want to have a conversation. And so it would be like, we can't introduce ourselves. So I would say, just give me five words that mm. describe you. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be what your job is, but that way we can get through this. You get to stand up, you get to speak. That, that way, when we start the conversation, you will have already used your voice and hopefully you'll engage more than sure. just sitting there and not knowing who everyone is. So I love this. So I give an example. Sometimes I'll say seven words. So it's, I start off and say, I amplify the voices of women. Mm -hmm. So go for it. What do you, and it could be mom, daughter, whatever it is you want to say, no more than seven words. Starts off people with seven words. By the time you get to number third, number about twenty is when the person starts with. And I know we're only supposed yep. to give seven words, but yeah. And I've now cut people off because I say, and if you go over seven, I will cut you off. But people cannot. So many oh, people yeah. cannot tell their stories. They can't. They don't know where to start, where to end, and oftentimes they're so close to it. You love what you do so much that you think everyone else yes. understands it. So you really have to condense it and make it make sense to people who might have no clue what your product their services. And I think when I say I amplify the voices of women, 
I'm not sure anybody really knows what that means, right? right? But it's intriguing enough that they then ask the questions and it gets the conversation yeah. started. And then sometimes if we add it longer, if I'm doing the 30 second, it's, and I do that on many platforms, my, my major platforms are with Forbes and sure. then continue on for yeah. those 30 seconds. Okay. So we're going to do, I'm done with that. Yeah. So I'll start. I'll sure. give you time to think. And this one just came to me the other day as I was walking down the street. People sometimes say to me, you know, where do your mentoring moments come from and stuff? And I say, there are many times it's just walking down the street and hearing people talk about things. So the other day I'm walking past this restaurant and it is so noisy that you can hear it outside so oh my much. Goodness, yeah. And I thought back to the night before at being at a restaurant where I'm screaming at the person across from me. So I am done with noisy restaurants. <laughs> I like I'm that. truly done with, and I, you know, you're younger, so it may not, but the older I'm getting, it's like, I want to be at dinner and talk yeah. to you and not be like, so, and you're like screaming across the table. So yeah. that's what I'm done with. I like that. I would say, uh, I was thinking about what my new year's resolution is going to be. And you know, in years past, it was saying, to everything, commit to everything. And, and I've really been doing that. But then I find myself about to go to that party, about to go to that coffee date and say to myself, why am I doing this? I really don't want to do that. So I think that I'm done with saying yes to everything and really starting to pick and choose things that, you know, either really advance myself or the other person or that are positive experiences. And if it's a Friday night and I want to sit on the couch and binge Netflix rather than go, you know, be social and go to a party, I think that I'm going to be done with just forcing myself to the party just to see what happens. And I think that was something that is really hard to agree to do, but I'm done with saying yes to everything. Okay. So if you have a hard time with that, call me. Yeah. Because I've, I've always had a hard time. Oh yeah. Not always. I'm always like, yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do that. Then the day of the event, I'm like thinking, I'm just so tired. It's not that yeah. I don't want to go to the event. It's just I'm exhausted. Sure. And and usually these events are noisy once again to the noise. And so yeah. you're screaming. It's like I just don't have the energy no. to scream. Yeah. So I really now have st- I really have said my initial instinct is Oh, I want to go. And part of that is because fear of missing out. So yeah, FOMO. Right. The other part of it is they want me. They right. want me to come. So good. that little girl in you shows up. Yeah. Right. I got invited to the party. Right. And then I look back and I think, but if my choice is spending it with people that I really know yeah. versus meeting somebody else that and which is great. I mean, especially when you're younger. So I always say this, you know, when you're younger, your decision making is different than mine because you do want to network more. You're building your business differently and Mm -hmm. you don't know as many people over the years of time to be able to tap into. But if you, if you're not spending quality time with your friends, you're really missing out and life becomes all business and so focused on it. So one of the tips I always, I said, when I look at an invite, I don't respond immediately. Mm-hmm. I hold off for a day or so. That's smart. And then think about it the next day. Does it sound as attractive? When I look at my whole calendar and I look at it for the entire month. And years ago, I took a, a um, Stephen Covey who did the seven habits of highly yeah, um, yeah. effective people. So we were fortunate at USA Today. He came in and actually trained with us. And he would say that in your calendar, and this is like, this is 25 years ago, so this has been done and redone sure. now a gazillion times, but it's still, it's still so true. Did you, you need to put in time in your calendar for the people that are most important to that. you and block it out and then work around that. that. And that really helps because, you know, it's so easy to say, I've got the best husband and he'll yeah, understand anything. Right. If I said to Lewis, you know what, I've got to go to dinner seven nights this week and I, I won't be yeah. around. He would be like, that's fine. If, if that's what you want to do, if that yeah. makes you happy. So I don't have that pressure mm-hmm. of thinking I've got to be. So I really, it would be real easy for me to say, you know what, I'm going to do all this stuff and I'm not going to spend any time yeah. at home. And that's where you really miss out on, on life or with people that you care about. Sure. We just did um, an event here, not an event, we had a party here at my apartment last night. Yeah. And someone said something that I think was so meaningful to me. She said, you know, I love your apartment. And I said, thank you. And she said, but here's what I want to say about it. I love it. And I know you love it, but you should really share it with other people. And I thought that's something you don't do in restaurants. You're not sharing your life and what you have built. And it doesn't have to be a beautiful apartment. It doesn't have to, it's yours, right? It could be your walk-in closet on the 26th floor. It's yours. And it's, it was, she said, this is just great that you're sharing this party. This is the same woman. I was telling the story earlier. 
<laughs> that yesterday, okay, so this is a mentoring moment yeah. for everyone. Yesterday, I'm getting ready for this party and I'm getting ready early. And I'm like, because things will happen during the of day, the unexpected. So I'm going to get ready early. And I have a diffuser for people who don't use a diffuser. It's an <laughs> attachment that you put on your hair dryer to keep your hair from being frizzy. So I have a diffuser and I use this diffuser for about 30 seconds. I hit the front of my hair just to like, to, to, to get it locked in. Yeah. And then the rest of my hair just dries naturally. So I pick up the hair dryer, I put it on full blast and the diffuser flies ah. off the hair blower right into my eye to which I'm thinking, Oh, my cheek doesn't feel so I'm thinking, well, I have like a black eye. And then I look at my eye and it is as red as could be. And oh, I'm looking God. at myself now, my hair's soaking wet. The ophthalmologist, is a, this is one of the great things about New York. You can find right? anybody anywhere, oh, right? Yeah. So the ophthalmologist is a block away. I'm not making this up. I have like kind of sweatpants on and a t-shirt. I, my hair is soaking wet. I throw on a coat and I run over to the ophthalmologist's <laughs> office and they're looking at, they're staring at me as I walk in. So, you know, the mentoring moments of life, oh, um, the unexpected will happen. Oh, well, and I'll hit you right in the right, face. Okay, exactly. And which is another one, because I think sometimes we have to be, which has made yeah. me think about you and saying, yes, sometimes I have a friend who's very holistic who says this, the universe speaks to us yeah. in many ways and we keep ignoring it. We and do. sometimes it literally hits you smack it in does. the face. So you have to look at it. Yeah. So the ophthalmologist said to me yesterday, your eye will be fine. There's no damage, but it's going to look this way for about two weeks. Oh. If you sleep sitting up, it will fix. I'm like, he's no like, okay, it's just going to have to be yeah. read longer. As long as I'm healthy, that's, all I, story. Right, yeah. that's all I care about. <laughs> So now we're going to go to takeaways. Do you like scary radio dramas? Tune into Fangoria's Dread Time Stories, fully dramatized horror stories hosted by Malcolm McDowell. Irony is only one small ingredient of these Dread Time Stories. Hear a new episode every other week on the Podcast One app, iTunes, and PodcastOne.com. It's time to break the cycle of waste and mess. Time to stop accepting that the way things have been done are the way they should be done. Control-Alt-Delete everything you thought you knew about how to period. We're flipping the script. We're throwing out the book. We're challenging the period status quo. The Diva Cup is eco-friendly, reusable, and offers up to 12 hours leak-free protection. So what are you waiting for? Join the inner revolution with the Diva Cup. The Diva Cup is used for menstrual flow only. Always read and follow the user guide. Mentoring Moments. Takeaway. Today, Takeaways is going to be so great because joining us is Kristen Brandt, who is the co-founder of She's the First. So you may have heard me talk about She's the First, Tammy Tibbetts. Kristen's co-founder, has been with us. She's the first. I'm on the board. We provide scholarships for girls in low-income countries so they can be the first to graduate from high school, which is a huge, huge deal. But in her spare time, I love some of the things Kristen does, which is she's a self-defense instructor in Brooklyn, and she works to end all forms of violence against women through advocacy and action. And, you know, action is that word that I just love because we can talk about things till we're blue in the face, but we've got to take action to make them happen. And I'm sitting truly right next to Kristen. I mean, we are like glued at the hip almost here. And I love how she takes action. I love how Kristen thinks. I mean, this cracks me up. We were in a meeting the other day. She said something. And I said, I love how Kristen thinks. And about two seconds later, she said something else. And I said, I repeat, I love how Kristen thinks. So I'm really excited because we're going to hear how Kristen thinks. And also that when I told her about today's episode, she's like, this is perfect. I was just asked to be the best woman for a guy friend's wedding. So I was like, well, this is perfect. And it wasn't even <laughs> planned. So Kristen, welcome. I'm giving you a big Thank hug. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. And Jen, definitely have a question about that yes. best woman role in a minute. Um, but first, my takeaways from listening to the two of you talk. So there were two things that you hit on, Jen, that you pulled out as kind of philosophies or ideas that you use around weddings. And the first was when you were talking about your own wedding and you said you don't want a paint-by-numbers wedding. And that really struck me because I feel like so much of life is paint-by-numbers, yeah. right? You're, you're expected 
to get on that corporate ladder and climb your way up. You're expected to find that boyfriend. You're expected by put, to put a ring on it around two years, right? You're, you have kind of all these expectations. And it does feel a lot of times like, like a paint by numbers. Yeah. And I hate that. And so I love that you said that you don't want a paint by numbers wedding. But I think that's such an easy thing to extrapolate to life. Right. And to say, you know what, forget it. I don't want to paint my numbers life either. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, the other thing you said that I'm going to take with me as another great life philosophy is when you were talking about how to choose your bridesmaids and you said, who do you want to be stuck in an elevator with? And I just thought, you know, this past year for me, I've been working really hard on surrounding myself with people who inspire me, people who push me to think about new and different things. Um, Just, you know, people who are really good at kind of lifting you up and making your life better. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's what I'm doing. It's like, it's who do you want to be stuck in an elevator with, right? And there are so many places in life where both of these philosophies just make sense. Um, So I think for your next book, what you should do (laughs) is take all of these wedding philosophies and turn them into life philosophies. And then you will be one of the world's best mentors. And we can just bring this all full circle. (laughs) And and I think the whole paint by numbers as as most people know, I'll be 63 in two weeks. As you get older, you're able to look back on that so much and say, Mm -hmm. just don't, just don't do it. You know, there's not one podcast, the the favorite podcast that I have done with, whether I'm listening to them or doing them are people who aren't painting by numbers. Nobody wants to listen to someone say, and then I did blah, 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 blah. And I played the roles. You're not getting anywhere. Right. So, it's, it's really make your life yours. And as I'm getting older and I'm not being, this is not pessimistic or fatal or anything, but you, there is a reality here. I have less time mm. to live than you all do at this point in our lives. Right. And you, t- you look at things differently, sure. I think in, in, a, in an optimistic way and saying, what is it that's really important to me to be me? And that's hard when you're your age, when you're in your twenties. Yeah. And even when I did the book on women in their thirties, mm-hmm. most of those women in their thirties all said, I don't ever want to be in my twenties again. That was <laughs> awful, right? Because you're doing things for your professors, for your parents, Everyone. for everybody mm-hmm. else. You're that image in the mirror isn't who you want it to be. It's who other people want it to be. And then you talk about weddings. I said I was 50 when I got married. Now I had a beautiful dress, but it wasn't the dress that I wanted. It was the dress that I thought would be, and it was beautiful. It it really was beautiful, but it wasn't me. I'm such a hippie inside that my wedding dress should be that hippie because I am that inner flower girl. Right. And it wasn't. You picked the dress that you thought everyone wanted to see you in. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I was 50 when I did that. (laughs) So we need need to stop doing this. Well, I think it's, we just need to ask ourselves more, why are we doing this? And if the answer is, because oh, everybody else is, or oh, that's what is expected of me, or oh, that's all I know, then we need to really stop and remember, that's not a good enough answer. Right. And just be you. Yeah. And that's not saying not to be kind to be all those things. Sure. Let's just lay that out, right? Just yeah. be kind, be nice, be do the right things. But all the other things in life, just be you. Mm-hmm. It's a whole lot easier that way too. It is. I feel it's, like there's always, everyone has their own moment in time when you just give up on being anybody else. Yeah. And you're like, I'm fed up of putting on this show. I'm just going to be me. And that's happened in my, in my dating life. You know, you go on enough first dates where you're like, you know what? I'm ending the show and I'm just going to be my true self. If you want to go on a second date, great. If not, it's never going to work out anyway. Right. And just being, it's, but it's harder for you all. And I I realize that you have less experiences to pull in and say, it's, it will be okay if I'm me. Yeah. When I was dating my husband, I always say when you're dating in your forties, there's common things that you're going through when you're dating in your twenties because it's all new still. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now I have a daughter, I'm divorced and I'm having hot flashes yeah. because, I'm, because I'm menopausal, right? Sure. So I, I will never forget this. This is like our second date. And I had this great cam. I still have the dress. I'll show you all after the podcast. Yeah. I'll take a photo of it. It's this great camel dress. This is sheath mm-hmm. dress. And these great Manolo Blahnik kills. And I was determined to wear it on this date. Yeah. But it was, it was fall. It was November. <laughs> but it was a warm day. But I'm still determined to wear this right. dress because mm-hmm. it's so hot, right? So but I'm roasting. I have a sub-zero freezer, refrigerator that has a freezer that pulls out from the bottom. 
So when Lewis comes to pick me up, there's a window in my kitchen. The kitchen oh, is the no. entry level. I am sitting oh, no. in the freezer. No, I wish I was. Sitting in the freezer, okay? And he comes in and I'm like, I am roasting. I've got to go upstairs and dry off. And he looks at me and says, whatever you need to do, go for it. The fact that he was still there when I right? came back down spoke volumes. Oh, my goodness. But my whole point is, they're all, no matter how old we are, we go through these times of our lives where we've yeah. never experienced it before. That's right. But it was really, I was being me. I was yeah, sitting in the yeah. freezer. Yeah. So anyway, so back to back to your <laughs> questions and being. <laughs> okay, so here's here's my question yes. for you, professional bridesmaid. Yes. So I've been a bridesmaid. I've mm-hmm. been a wedding guest. I've been a maid of honor. I have not been a best woman. Yeah. And there is this element of like, oh my God, do I have to take him to a like strip club? Like I can't, I'm a feminist. I can't do it. Right. right. Like, so what, what do you do as best woman? How does that change the, the script? I think that's a great question because the idea of a best woman or, you know, a man of honor is, is something that's so new, but also so wonderful and cool and awesome. And I think that there's not that much of a difference. Like, I think the number one thing you can do is is talk to the groom and say, what do you want to do? You know, let's plan this out together. And you know, if it needs to be something that makes everyone comfortable, right? So just because it's the groom's big day or whatever it is, I, I think that it needs to be an event, a bachelor party or something that makes everybody feel comfortable and at ease. And I think the idea of, you know, just the strip clubs or Vegas, that is once again, the paint by numbers kind of thing. There's so many other cool things you can do for a bachelor party or even a bachelorette party, but nobody thinks outside of the box. Well, and God knows if he wanted a could like a cookie cutter wedding and yeah. bachelor party, he wouldn't have chosen me for his best woman. I think the best thing you can do is just have the conversation of let's get together, let's figure out, you know, what are some of the things you want to do, but then also have the element of surprise and say, okay, now I'm going to take it into my own hands and plan <laughs> you just the best pre-wedding adventure. Well, you might be getting a phone call. Yes, right. I, I was going to say, I have a feeling that, that you will be getting a phone call. I mean, I can go to the questions that we've crowdsourced, but Kristen, yeah. if you have another one. Anything? No, let's okay. do it. Okay. So one of them is from Iman Ubu, who you know, Jen, yeah. who I think you were just on her podcast. She left a comment on Facebook, and her question is, what has been the biggest struggle about your career choice? Sure. I, I would say that a lot of people doubted me and doubted my career choice uh, from my early life, too. Like, I always wanted to be a writer. And I'll never forget when I was 14 in high school, I had a journalism teacher and I applied to be on the newspaper staff. And I got rejected. And I went up to him and I said, You know, why? I love writing. I love this. And he said, You're not a good enough writer. You're never going to be a writer. Mm. And that was my first moment where this really cool high-level figure doubted me. Uh, and that's been a common theme throughout my, my life and my career. And when I started Bridesmaid for Hire, the media were some of the first people to say, this is dumb. This is never going to go anywhere. Either she's a genius or she's crazy. And I was like, I think I'm a little of both, but, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe more toward the crazy. But, uh, you know, I, I was going on live TV interviews where people, the reporters were rolling their eyes when the camera was off them or thinking like, oh, this is just, you know, uh, a one-time deal. And I had friends and family members who would see me in person and be like, you know, how's that bridesmaid for hire thing working? Like, is it, is it real? Do you really want to do this? And I was like, yes, you know, I am helping women at a time when they might not have anybody else in their lives to help them. And that to me is powerful. I believe in this and I'm going to do it. So I think it was pushing away doubt and remembering that if you believe in something and your heart's fully in it, don't listen to anybody else because there's too many people who are going to put up stop signs and you might listen to them. And then that's the biggest shame of your career. Right. And a lot of times they're throwing their own crap on you, their own fears or their, yeah, their fears. Like they're scared that it's not going to work and then you're going to have no money and nothing to do next. But in my head, I said it might not work and then I'll go off and do something else, but it'll be my choice, my decision and my biggest, you know, failure if that happens. But people definitely do project themselves on you. And it was funny to see who those people were. You know, they were never my immediate family members or my close friends. They were acquaintances or people who I hadn't spoken to in 10 years, but suddenly wanted to tell me that this was a very weird career choice. Right. So my follow-up question is, you know, you are running a legit business, Mm -hmm. right? But you're 28, you're super cute. You're doing, it's a, it's a bridesmaid business. I find that 
a lot of times when people look at she's the first and what we're yeah. doing before they get to really know it, they see that I'm 28. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, blonde. Yep. I am working this nonprofit for girls education. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the reaction is that's so cute. Yeah. Right. And it, that might be verbalized or it might be in a look or it might be in the way that they handle the meeting. Mm-hmm. And like, I must imagine that you get this too. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't get that. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you do. You just don't even know. I don't think so, but go ahead. I want to hear the answer. You know what? It, it happened to me a lot. Um, I went through like this whole period of time in the last year where I wanted to date a lot to meet the right person or whatever. And on most of the dates, I would tell them oh what I God, did. Yes. And I'm so strong and confident about it. And they'd be like, that's funny. Or what do you really do for a living? Or that's cute. Uh-huh. And and when you hear that enough, you turn into fight mode almost. And you say, no, it's not cute. You know, I run my own business. Here's what it looks like. Here's what I have to do on a day-to-day basis. To be honest, it's anything but cute. And here are some alternative words for what it is. <laughs> Messy, chaotic, stressful, emotional. Uh, and I think that when you're in a business meeting and people look at you like that, and they do. They look at your uh-huh. age, your gender, even just the way you put yourself together and they judge a little bit. I think it's important to prove them wrong and then also maybe tell yourself these are not people you want to work with because if they don't see you as being what you are, which is professional and a badass female, then that working relationship is probably going to crumble and never grow to the respect that you deserve. It's so true. And the the dating point mm, um, is especially true. So think, frustrating. Yeah. Um, I've been on a lot of first dates yeah. lately and it is, it's such a thing. And with, yeah. with nonprofits, it's a lot of, wow, like that's so noble. I right. could never do that. Mm-hmm. And it, but it's, you know, at the same time, they're kind of sticking you on this pedestal. It's also this this subtle belittling. Yeah, condescending too. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, gosh, I do something so serious. I could never leave to do something as cute and noble as what you're doing. It's rough. You get defensive. Right, cool. I just, I leave at this point. I'm like, you know what? Checks, please. This is a great drink. I'm going to pay for it myself and I'm going to walk out the door because I'm never going to owe you anything. Um, But you know what's interesting is even when I had a full-time job and this was my first job in New York City at a PR company, I was 23 and my boss treated me as the cute, young, little blonde girl who he would ding go in front of clients and do all of these things. And I was young enough and naive enough to think that that was okay until a point, until I realized that I was being not valued for my skills and what I could offer, but more about, oh, you know, let's put Jen in front of people to talk and get a business deal and things that were, I was so against. And it took a lot of courage. It took about a year and a half to realize this is not okay. I got to get out of here. And though it took me a while, you know, I'm glad I realized at 23, like I never want to be working for someone who treats me like that, let alone run a business and have people treat me like that. You're not an ornament. No, absolutely. A therapist once told me, my therapist once told me, someone said that I was adorable. This is when I was younger. Someone said I was adorable. And she said, you don't want to be adorable and you don't Mm -hmm. want to be adored. If you're adored, you have to be adorable. If you're adorable, you need to be adored. (laughs) Because I was like, and he said I was so adorable. She was like, you don't want to be either of those. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, we we don't want to be. And when you have that mindset, you don't want to be that. And I think when you all hang around with other women like you, and I know, Kristen, you're doing the dinners, uh, Mm -hmm. you're doing your potluck dinners right now of bringing women together that we're, you know, trying to figure out the actions to take that we can move forward in the new world that we're entering, that, um, it's, it's finding that like-mindedness that gives you that strength, I think. Sure. To know, right? I know you know that of all people teaching martial arts. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> right. I know it is so cool. Yesterday, Chris and I were talking and I know you don't, I know this is not true, but it just came out of my mouth. I see, we were talking about getting together and I said, well, let's see, I have a Pilates class that morning from eight to nine. And she said, yeah, I have my martial arts class from eight to nine. I said, so I will be like, inhale, exhale, doing yeah. deep breathing. You'll be kicking the shit out of somebody. <laughs> I know that's not what you're doing, but very effective. And I want to, I want to learn. So anyway, one more question. Sure. Okay. So the question is, Jen, from one of your readers is that she said to you, I hope you're right because right now it's unsettling, especially as everyone else seems to be settling down. Mm. The only thing I keep telling myself is no one ever grew out of comfort. And right now I'm not meant for comfort. Is that Mm. a cop out or is it legit? 
Yeah, you know, this was uh, one of my readers who wrote to me saying that she wants to pretty much toss her whole life up in the air. She's a great corporate job, uh, but she's sick of it. And she really wants to go off course again and try something completely new. And I have a theory that every four years or so, you should throw everything you have up in the air and start again, start new, start over, start different. Uh, I think that our lives are constantly changing. Our age is constantly changing and we don't mend those two together. So I don't think it's a cop out to quit this awesome full time job you have for something incredibly unknown where you might make less money and you might have no clue what you're going to do. And I think it's more of a cop out to do what everyone else is doing. And, uh, you know, this particular reader is in her mid twenties. Her friends are starting to get married and have babies. And I've been there too. And I wondered, what am I, you know, what am I doing different than them? And is that okay? And I think we need to remember that we're all on our different paths in life. Nobody needs to catch up to anyone. Uh, if your friends are so far ahead of you and you can't really find like-minded things to talk about, that's okay. You know, you'll probably meet no- new people, strangers to enter your life and change your life. Uh, and I think it's, we need to be selfish in the course that we take and not consider it a cop-out to completely, you know, revamp our lives. Like we do our closets or things, uh, all the time that we go through and sort out and, and start from scratch. And I think for some people, taking a risk is not easy. Yeah. And so your risk has to be different. You may not jump in like like you have, Jen, or you may not jump in like you did, Kristen, and yeah. not take the normal quote unquote sure. job, right? But it's, I think for everyone, it's that taking that leap, whatever mm-hmm. that leap is for you, yeah. that, you know, some people have mortgages to pay or rent to pay, or they have kids. I mean, they yeah. just can't say, I'm going to quit my job no, and I'm going to yeah. go do this. So everyone, but I think it's the whole mental thing of saying, I'm just going to go out of my comfort zone to take me to that next step that I can discover myself. Well, and I think we get one life, right? Mm. I mean, theoretically, as far as we know, Mm -hmm. we get one life. I'm betting on Um, two at least. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) But so when you have that moment where you go, God, wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be cool to try? I mean, I am such a proponent of listening to that voice Mm. that goes, oh, that, what about that? And just following it. And, you know, you're right, Denise, not everyone is is in a place where they can drop everything and Mm. and become a skydiving instructor. Um, But you can save up and work to do that first skydive and and see how that makes you feel, you know? Um, And make it your side hustle. Yeah, I think the problem is, and I teach my students this all the time, is that nobody tells you you can do do and be more than one thing. You know, when you go to school, you grow up, everyone says, what career do you want? And that's mm. usually singular. You know, yes. you say, I'm going to be this and only this, but that's not realistic. We're humans. We're dynamic. We love more than one thing all of the time, but we ignore those things to focus on just one thing. And I think that that could also be a little bit of a problem to ignore those things that we love. And even if we don't make money from them, it's really, really, really important that we make them a gigantic part of our life, of our day, of our year, and not solely focus on just who we were told we want to be when we were 18 or 23 making that decision. Do you know what I think plays a huge part of this? And specifically that, that phrase cop out, is this Mm. a cop out is how easy it is to look at someone else's life and think that, Oh my God, they're so happy. They're so put together. They've got it. No one, no, no one. (laughs) And, and I think it, it just makes it so easy, whatever it is in the human condition that makes it so easy for us to do that also makes it easy for us to feel like, well, then maybe if I just had X, maybe if I did just have a partner, maybe if I just had a boyfriend, maybe if I just stuck with it in this career, I could be as happy as my boss, my friend, my, my whatever. And it's such bullshit. And so (laughs) I think a large part of that is looking at your own life and it's, you know, what am I happy with? And what do I want? What do I want? Not what do the people around me have that looks nice, but what do I want? What makes me happy? And what a hard question that yeah. is. Yeah. But when you figure it out, how freaking cool it yeah. is too, right? It is. And this is something I could talk about with you ladies forever. And this is my other mentoring. I'm going to start calling women ladies versus mm. guys. Yeah. You know how we always oh, go, yeah. so guys, what do you think? Yeah. It's like, okay, so ladies, I could talk to you forever on this, but we have to say goodbye to the podcast. Oh. But first of all, where do we find you both so online? Tell us, tell um, everyone where. At CJ Brandt, pretty much everywhere. And you can find She's the First at she's the first.org. 
And I am Jen Glantz on all the social media platforms. And you can find me at jenglantz.com. And you can buy Always Surprise Me for Hire right now on Amazon for 30% off. Yeah, and how is that for under 30 seconds? <laughs> so thank you both so much. Thank this you. is wonderful. So thank you. So I'm not sure who I want to hire as a mentor today. Jen, Kristen, or the 86-year-old man who I want to marry off to my mother, but that's another story. So to make sure you're getting mentoring moments, the moment it's live, which is every Wednesday, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate it, review it. It's easy. Just do it. And check out my show notes on Forbes.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts about, one, how you're changing your life from being that paint by numbers. What are you doing so that your life is yours? And two, who do you want to be stuck in an elevator with? Who are those two to three people that you want to be stuck in an elevator with? And three, there are so many social expectations on us. What are you willing to say no to so that you can say yes to the right things? What are you willing to throw away? So I'd love to hear from you. You can find me always on Twitter at Denise Ristari. And until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, they are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following, following the rule of law, it is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.